This <laughs> hold on. I there's a little bit of inaccuracy in this show. I mean, this show is where someone got shot 108 times <laughs> and right. lived. Howdy, folks. This is Hedgepod, a podcast about how our mass media reinforces the cultural hegemony of the ruling class. I'm Jack. My pronouns are they and them. I'm also okay with he and him. I'm Nova. My pronouns are he and him. I'm Athena. My pronouns are she, they. What we do here is explain and explore the many ways that popular media is used to consciously and unconsciously enforce the ideology of the ruling class. Cultural hegemony is a component of Marxist philosophy. We're leftists here, which means that we have radical takes like, your boss is not your friend, and any potential boss will only pretend until they've got you solidly pinned. And the reason that we bring that take to the table is because we have a, a, a very special guest today, my friend, programmer extraordinaire, and up-and-coming podcaster slash content creator, I'd like to introduce Akeem. Hello, everyone. Uh, I'm Akeem King, and I have a podcast with Jack as well called Akeem and Jack. You guys should check it out whenever you get the chance. Um, I guess I'm the programmer extraordinaire that he's speaking of, <laughs> so I'll take that with a high regard and welcome, everyone. Thank you. So, I'm uh, really excited to to watch this. You brought this this episode to us, and uh, <clears throat> it's an episode of the Boondocks, uh, season one, episode fourteen. This came out in March twelfth of two thousand six. Now, uh, this may come as a shock to some of our listeners, so I feel like I need to add a disclaimer here. Uh, me, Athena, and Nova are. Uh, white <laughs> so i just wanted to give anyone who's listening a heads up that that we're indeed white so some of our takes on this show may be very white takes <laughs> so just wanted to give that little bit of disclaimer here i'm hoping that akeem can act as a uh, tour guide for us through this episode <laughs> akeem is very black so he offsets the whiteness of the three people right i'm like nigerian black so it's okay <laughs> Love it. Uh, so, <laughs> this episode was called uh, "The Block Is Hot," and um, Akeem, when you, do you want to give us a, a a rundown of what the show in general is about? Um, yeah, I mean, essentially, it's just like common capitalism. You know, the normal shit where someone goes in through with good faith and good intentions and tries to make a decent actual profit to accomplish some goals they have in life. In this case, Jasmine just wanted to buy a pony. You know, little girl, innocent, wanted to buy a pony. Uh, the capitalist comes in and says, hey, I'll give you this promise if you work your entire life for me. Basically, she puts forth the best effort he can, gives his her entire life to the business. And then as soon as the first thing goes wrong, capitalist fucks her over it. As soon as he gets the chance. You know, throws her under the bus, screws her over. She never gets what she wants. He takes all the profit. Surprise, so surprise. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, the boondocks itself is a... Uh, it follows the story of uh, there are they're just they're tw- are they twins or are they just brothers Huey and Riley? I uh, think they're just brothers. Right? I think they're like they're two or three years apart. Yeah. yeah, they're just brothers, not twins. Riley is eight. Huey is ten. Okay, I got you. I only watched like the first like six episodes, and then I w- went and watched this one out of order. I'm definitely gonna go back and watch. The rest of them, though, because the show's fantastic. Yeah, I've actually been a Boondocks fan uh, for since it was originally airing. Actually, and I've, I've watched the the series all the way through a few times as well. So, I was uh, very excited to uh, do this too because it's a great episode. I feel like Boondocks is kind of like Friday. It's like an essential part of Black culture. You know, like every single Black person watches this as they're growing up, and we all kind of relate to it because. Aaron Magruder kind of drew off, I guess, his own black experience to relate it more to a common audience. Because I think a white person can watch it and still understand the ideas and the concepts they're trying to convey to the audience. Oh, yeah. For me, it was um, like I, I was watching it as a leftist and at the time a baby leftist. And there's so much good uh, leftist stuff in it that that's what I was getting out of it. Yeah. And it's like... Uh you know, Huey is essentially in the in the intro of the show, which is pretty cool. They they actually sort of have this little artistic splash that happens, and you get a stylized picture of 
Riley that looks like Tony Montana, the poster from Scarface, and then you get a stylized picture of Huey that kind of looks like the Che Guevara uh, picture that you yeah. see. And that, I think, is like really reflective of their characteristics in the show. Yeah. Uh, kind of like what their personalities reflect. So let's get right into the episode. I am the stone that the builder refused. I am the visual, the inspiration that made ladies sing the blues. I'm the spark that makes your idea bright. The same spark that lights the dark so that you can know you're not from your right. I am the ballad in your box, the bullet in the gun, the inner glow that lets you know to call your brother's son. The story that just begun, the promise of what's to come. And I'm going to remain a soldier till the war is won. Run. We've got Huey's getting ready, and he walks out the door, and there's, like, the story on the radio, right? Then it's talking about how there's this heat wave, and they're in the middle of February, and Huey is, uh, has this coat on and his scarf and everything, and it's just, like, walking down the street. Oh, no, no, no. It's the, if I remember, they don't say that it's in February. They just no. say that it's a heat wave. Yeah, it doesn't oh, okay. reveal that it's February till the very, very end. Yep. It's a it's a whole big reveal. Oh, spoiler alert! Yeah. <laughs> also, spoilers for the Boondocks. What, how did you get you this far in this in in our podcast and not understand that we do spoilers? Every episode, spoilers forever. Uh, so uh, Riley is there and he uh, cracks open a fire hydrant and and is like spraying the water everywhere and the white people just kind of like stand around or looking at him and. And uh, he's, like, just splashing everybody with the fire hydrant. Yeah. Huey tries to set him straight, I guess. And Yeah, he, like, he tells him that, you know, white people have pools. You don't have to <laughs> bust open the fire hydrant for him. Right! What? White people have pools! It, the, the takes in the show of, like, how they present... how they Like, how Huey, especially, describes white people is probably one of my favorite parts of this whole show because one everything that he says is absolutely true it's so it's so like i don't know it's like mind-blowing how how accurate it all is you know excuse me everyone i have a brief announcement to make jesus was black ronald reagan was the devil and the government is lying about 9-11 Thank you for your time and good night. No! That can't be true! Yeah, I mean, I think Huey just tries to educate everyone and they all just ignore him to their detriment. And then when the obvious happens, right, the obvious consequences occur, they just look around and say, well, how do we know this was going to happen? You know, like with the whole Jasmine situation, right? Like, I'm just going to kind of skip to the end. But if you look at the end from the beginning, he kind of warned her. At one point where he kind of tried to let her know, like, he's screwing you. You know that, right? Like, the, the guy's fucking you over, but... What do you think? I think he just ripped you off. I'd expect you to say that. Pony hater. It's almost as though... I mean, this is real life, right? You try to tell a capitalist that, but, like, it's almost as though they have this vision of just being, like, a temporarily embarrassed billionaire that they can't possibly conceive that they're being screwed over. Like, in their mind, they're just like, I'm going to win in the end. I just have to keep going and keep pushing. And at some point, I'm going to achieve what that capitalist is telling me I'm going to get. Kind and Huey's over there trying to let them know the truth. But That kind of reminds me of the meme of how old were you when you realized that working hard will not get you what you were promised or something to that effect. Uh, that's a so, great question, yeah. <laughs> Uncle Ruckus is introduced at this point. Uh, <laughs> Riley sp spraying water everywhere and... Uh, <laughs> Uncle Ruckus says something along. Uncle Ruckus is a, he's a black man that has a gray ponytail, a bug eye, and he is a vehement white supremacist. Yeah. <laughs> Which is, you know, I, I I imagine that must be just one of the most frustrating things that you can experience. <laughs> it's like the the frustration of like trying to, you know, fight for, you know, social equity and civil rights and just black recognition of the black experience and then to have a black person that's just like 
a poster child for white supremacy, just like towing the line. Not it, it's kind of weird because there's another character too who's also sort of like a mild. I I don't want to say he's white supremacist, but he is. No, like, he's he's a liberal. Tom. Yeah, the yeah. the liberal Tom, Tom yeah. right? <laughs> yeah. So it's like you've got t- two ends of the, uh, you know, white supremacy spectrum, being yeah. exhibited through. Uh, black characters, right? Uncle Ruckus is the vehement, like, in-your-face white supremacist, and then and then Tom is, like, the black liberal that, you know, use, they usually, the white people will, like, put we need, in positions. We need gradual change through working within the system, that kind of thing. Right. He's like the Obama type. Well, right? he's yep. also yep, a, uh, um, what is it, a prosecutor, or is it... Yep. Mm-hmm. He's yeah. a district attorney, actually. Yeah, yeah he's an assistant district attorney. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so Uncle Ruckus, uh, he pulls up in his truck and calls <laughs> calls the cops on Riley because he's... Uh, hey, you quit playing with that white man water, boy! Wasting the white people's water. <laughs> I think what's the words that he said. And <laughs> Riley runs away, smartly, and <laughs> Uncle Ruckus get the cops come, and of course they they see Uncle Ruckus and you know pull their guns on him. Well, if it isn't a brave man and woman of the police department, come save the day. Get out of the truck and show me some ID. ID? Oh, that's a fine idea, officer. Can't be too careful. I'm just gonna reach into my pocket and take out my safety. Okay, officer, it's okay. I have a backup wallet just in case. And Ruckus is like, hey, uh, don't worry, I've got my wallet right right here. And it's like everyone knows where this is going, right? So he reaches back for his wallet. Of course, cops open fire. Somehow don't fill them full of lead, I guess, because they're... Because they're terrible they're shots, because really they're cops. <laughs> right. The, the really... The horrifying thing for me is that this aired in 2006, and mm. uh, basically nothing has changed. Well, it's it's, I've I've noticed this a lot, like through my awakening, I guess you want to call it. I I've been going back and kind of like, and I know me and Akeem have talked about this a lot, but uh, going back through, kind of stepping through my life experience and realizing that. Like, black people have been trying to tell us for a long time that shit's fucked. And in the form, like, in media, in music, in culture, just in plain English, like, when are y'all gonna wake up and realize that white supremacy is alive and well, and something needs to be done about it? And somehow, some way, you know, white people can, like, find new, new and inventive ways to ignore that, you know, every year. Well, it's because we're comfortable. Yeah. It's a lot easier to ignore if you're not dealing with it yourself. And not only that, but the power structure relies upon that a bit because then you can, you know, be like, well, at least I'm not as bad as that person. So as long as, you know, and and that's, I think, where some of the, the panic comes from because if you go after the ladder then this whole idea of like climbing the ladder and or you know being above someone is gone and these people have never had any analysis in their lives so mm. does that make sense am i saying that right i think so i think i follow so ruckus he gets the uh wallet shot out of his hands he goes out and pulls another wallet and don't worry they... i've got my backup wallet <laughs> right reaches for that cops beat the shit out of him night sticks uh, then we're introduced to Jasmine, who is Tom's daughter, right? Mm-hmm. And she is, she is half black, half white, right? Like, isn't Tom's? Is it is? Yeah, yeah. Her mom's her mom's white. Yeah. Okay. So she's got this idea. She's going to start a lemonade stand, and uh, Huey comes out on a literal soapbox and is handing out flyers, you know, about talking about liberation and stuff. As you mentioned earlier. Huey likes to uh, 
try and educate people to no avail. Uh, but I like that he he's like tries to explain. He's like you got something important to say. You got to have a soapbox. He literally sits on one. <laughs> and uh, Jasmine's you know got her lemonade stand set up. Huey's trying to like you know spread this idea that the government wants you dead by 62 so that you can't collect on social security which is you know I think a stand in just for like having a having a real take that like seems somewhat conspiratorial even though it's like probably probably based in some reality well that was the origin of the expression uh, stay woke is just being woke up and having your eyes open to the kind of realities that's going on in the world around us. And then it wound up uh, getting a little bit hijacked along the way there. I like everything. Yeah. Yeah. I think woke has like a negative connotation nowadays. Yeah, it does now for sure. Overly sensitive or something rather than me actually paying attention to the observable world around you and just being objective about it, you know. Like saying black people have a harder time in America isn't woke or it's not you being biased it's just you paying attention to the observable world i mean you can look at it statistically speaking and quantifiably see that black people have a harder time in our country than any other race yeah it's not a uh being woke is not an, an opinion thing it's just literally paying attention yeah yeah it's, it's like being a it's like being enumerate right it's like being able to understand numbers basically <laughs> like enumerate people like you're fucking woke and then you look at the statistic and say well black people you know if you're a black guy you have a three times harder chance you have a, it's three times harder for you to get a job than a white guy with like a felony for example right yep. like that's a fact right um in the chicago tribune i think in 2012 they published a research paper about how black men are three times more likely to be killed for the same crime as a white guy. Yep. I mean, these are facts. Like, it's not being woke. It's just pointing out observable, objective reality that if you're black, life is going to be harder for you in America. Hey, that sounds an awful lot like critical race theory to me. Why are you bringing that around here? Our children don't need to hear that sort of stuff. You're just trying to create a racial divide. Yes, what? Some people would say. <laughs> That's what the uh, Wensler guy would say, right, in the, yep. in the uh, show. <laughs> That's what the Oklahoma legislation has been saying. Literally on the floor. <sighs> so you mentioned Wensler. Uh, Wensler is, uh, interfaces with Jasmine to talk to her about her lemonade stand. Yep. So he sees an opera. He's a capitalist guy. He's a stand-in for essentially all capitalist class people yeah and he's interesting in here because uh at this point he's pretending to be her friend and to be on her side and uh later on and that's when he's trying to get her hired and then later on uh he pretends to be uh he uses he's basically commercialized wokeness uh when he's selling that product later on Mm. and we'll get into that more when we get there um but in both cases, he's somebody who is being uh, deceitful as uh, as a boss. He's like he's selling himself as a friendly potential boss and business partner. You're in a partnership with him. It's not an exploitative relationship. You and him are working together for something. And uh, then later on, you know, he's marketing the the feelings that the people have, and it's that kind of. Uh, thing that some of you may be familiar with where someone pretends to be very uh very progressive uh a very good boss it's a good place to work and uh it turns out Mm -hmm. that uh maybe it's not that great oh i mean that's too real yeah that's like life story right there i mean that's literally every not every place i've worked at but i've worked at a particular place where i've experienced that exact same thing where I was kind of sold a different story than what I was given. Yeah. And I think that's just the capitalist notion, right? Like capitalists play, they, they, they kind of prey on your like psychological and emotional state. It's, it's psychological mm-hmm. manipulation at the core if you really think about it, right? Like they use the whole team factor where they try to make you feel like a family and we're a team. And yeah. so they try to use that to exploit you to work harder because you don't want to disappoint your team, right? You don't want to disappoint your family. Right. And you don't want to, you know, be the person who's like a dead weight for everybody else. Yep. Mm. Yeah, they, they take things that are actually you know, there's always this thing like, oh, human nature. Well, in my opinion, humans are both good and bad. But capitalists lo- will go in and take everything good 
about being a person and use it against you. Yeah, yeah. They're exploiting your good nature. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The part of us that wants to be a community, the part of us that wants to collaborate and be a team and be a family, they use that and lean into it in order to, you know, generate a product or create, to find a way to exploit you with yep. it, like you just said. Uh, it, it's it's very disgusting, but it's also very unsurprising at this point. You know, we... Uh, it's becoming less and less of a woke take to realize that, you know, you're being exploited by your boss. Like, I think that's part of the anti-work movement that we've seen, the great resignation and so on, is kind of people coming to the collective realization that this is what's happening. Yeah. Yeah, I definitely agree. How, what, what is this guy's name? Wunsler? Yeah, think like the guy from uh, uh, the Lorax. Yeah, okay. I, right. I will say... I have not hated a fictional character, I guess because he's kind of not fictional in a way, but I have not hated a character so much than I hate this character. Wunsler? I hate right him. Me so. Yeah, the only yeah. difference between Wunsler and any number of real individuals is that he doesn't hide it. Yeah, right. I hate yeah you so never much. get that kind of transparency in real life. You nope. never get that kind of transparency. Nope. <laughs> If anything, it's the antithesis, right? They'll pretend to be the most progressive and liberal human being on the world by running a literal sweatshop, right? Yep. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> so when Wunsler talks, it's so heavy, man. <laughs> it's so heavy. Wunsler talks to Jasmine and um, is, you know, goes into this basically like this franchise operation, decides that, you know, he says, what do you want? You know, we could work together and achieve anything you want. She says she wants a pony. He's like, well, I just so happened to raise ponies, you know, and so, well, we could, you know, we can uh, do business together, you know, uh, and that he appreciates young entrepreneurship. This one, that one is the one that really, really gets me that, like you were saying earlier, that drive, like they appeal to that, that emotional sort of that validation sense that people have. Yeah. They that feeling of like they need to you know roll up their sleeves and get it done you you need to be grateful to the boss for the opportunity that he gives you to better yourself mm-hmm. yeah he literally complains about child labor laws and got and disguises it as we're not teaching kids good work ethic which are all big dog whistles mm-hmm. it absolutely is do you guys notice how he didn't actually change his attitude until Tom went to the house, right? Mm-hmm. Like, until Tom was out of ear sight. And I think that's kind of a reflection of how, like, capitalists will trap you into a position and they'll know that you need money, right? Because we need money to survive in this capitalist society. And they put you in a position, and once they know they have you locked in, they can treat you however they want, right? They'll sell you a dream, and then they bait and switch you. And I think that's kind of like a metaphor of, like, hey, once we got you, there's nothing you can do now. You need us. And you can't get out of it because we contractually kind of fuck you you know we, we fuck you you're, you're yeah. done you're, you're stuck that's interesting you know point. what's funny is uh something that her dad should know as a uh attorney is that she is below the age of majority and cannot legally enter into a contract yeah i thought that was weird <laughs> well i mean they gotta tell their story yeah, somehow, right? yeah that's I fair mean, <laughs> <laughs> dramatic license wait a minute <laughs> this sh- hold on i <laughs> There's a little bit of inaccuracy in this show. I mean, this show is where <laughs> someone is got thing. shot 108 times <laughs> and right. lived. I mean, Ruckus got blasted by the cops so many yeah. times. 108. No, they fired yeah, 108 they shots, it, right? but they missed him every time. <laughs> they did it, it mistake his orange, bright orange wallet uh, for a gun, though, yep. which is mm-hmm. I love that little detail. Yeah. Uh, you know, and this was in 2006. I mean, how? I, I don't. I hate to even. You know, I mean, it pains me to to draw attention to this fact. But the number of black people that have been killed with something in their hand since this show aired, that was, you know, we thought it was a gun. You know, yeah. I mean, it's innumerable it, it at this point. I mean, some of them are children. Yeah, children on the playground. Yeah, like literal children with toys in their hand. They're saying things a gun. Tamir Rice, 12 years old, Cleveland. Uh, 
Yeah, I mean, that's it's at this point we have to at some point admit that I think that's why problems will never get resolved. Like, I don't have much hope if I'm honest. I'm pretty pessimistic about it just because a lot of white people don't want to acknowledge the complete savagery in our society. Like, they don't want to just say, yeah, I have, you know, family members or friends who are basically savages, right? They look at other human beings as less than human and are willing to take their lives with not much thought behind it, which I would consider to be a savage, right? Yeah. But most white people won't acknowledge that and they definitely won't respond appropriately to it. So if they do acknowledge it, at the very least, they're going to say, oh, that's not okay or that's not right, which isn't going to do much to counteract it, right? If someone's a Nazi, telling that person that you don't think being a Nazi is okay isn't going to stop them. Right. And they're not going to do anything else, so that's it. I mean, at this point, we have Nazis in our society, which we know we do. The idea is going to proliferate proliferate because you know the people that have the power to stop it aren't going to do it because the actions that are necessary they deem as drastic right like the actual the actions that we need them to do they deem as extreme or drastic or radical and that's where we start getting to the radical discussion and get into extremist discussion but in reality you have to think about the issue relatively like is it being extremist like we're dealing with an extreme issue it's not being extremist or radical we're just dealing with it at the level that the issue is and at this issue, we need people to take extreme radical action, but they're not going to. So unless, you know, people are willing to take extreme radical action against their friends, their family, something akin to the Civil War, right? Then that's the only way you can resolve these issues, but they're not going to do that. I mean, I, I can't I predict the future. I'm just saying, based on my idea. I, I, I'm with you wholeheartedly. I, I, you know, it's one of those things where, you know, people that look like me are going to have to do some very earnest self-reflection and look at the people in their lives and the people in their immediate families and say, like, you are perpetuating these systems. You know, you are, you're, by existing in these structures and existing peacefully in a structure that subjugates humans based, essentially, on their skin color, like, you, someone has to be held accountable for that, and and I, I honestly think that you know white people are going to have to pick up our share of the work here, which is you know a lot of it, considering we're the ones that perpetuate it so much. I mean, if you're going to be honest, I think that you guys have to treat it with the same severity to treat something as serious as like rape, right? Like, if you knew someone who was your friend who was a rapist, would you still continue to associate with them or your family member? No, right? I'd hope exactly. not. I'd hope you turn them in, right? Like, if you knew your family member right. was a rapist, if you knew your friend was a rapist, you turn them in to the authorities. Exactly. Um, and we need that similar kind of reaction to racism. The problem with racism is a lot of white people see it as commonplace to the point where they don't even think it's something to be a deal breaker when it comes to a friendship or a relationship. It's more so something that we have to work on. And a lot of people don't even notice it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, or they're just like, hey, it's whatever, it's just how they are. You know, it's like seeing someone as subhuman because of their phenotype is not something that you should find is acceptable or something that can be worked on. You have to see it as completely unacceptable and a deal breaker to any form of relationship that you can have with that person. If you even have an inclination that that person sees other people who have a different phenotype as subhuman, you must cut all ties with them immediately. Yep. If you're serious about like, you know, right. equality or equity. Absolutely. So, back to the show, uh Jasmine's excited Huey points out that she's probably getting ripped off because, of course, she is. Uh, Once Lawyer mentions that, oh, well, the pony will stay on my farm until, you know, she gets the uh, the ranch for it. Yeah. And the Once Lawyer's a partner of the, of the lemonade stand now, and he starts immediately figuring out very blatantly how to manipulate these people that are standing around into buying her product. And she mentions, hey, how about those police officers over there? Because there's, you know, the commotion with. Uncle Ruckus and the story. Um, and she even asked to, like, she wants to see the pony, you know. And Wunsler's like, you know, why don't you learn how to run a respectable business? Yeah, that's when like he that. does like the heel try- turn because uh, Daddy's yeah. out of range. So when do I get to see Sammy Davis Jr., the pony? When you learn how to run a respectable business. Huh? What the hell is up with this sign? What's this crude drawing supposed to be? It's the the magical pony carriage. 
This looks like a kid drew it. Look at this. Why are all these backwards? It, it, it's supposed to be cute. You think ignorance is cute? Well, I suppose you think mental retardation is downright adorable. Lemonade, now. How is anyone supposed to believe you can make lemonade when you can't even spell it? How old are you? Too damn old to be writing your E's backwards, damn it. <laughs> Squirm, little worm. What happened? It's okay, Jasmine. You don't need him. What do you mean I don't need him? Well, you're not gonna let him treat you like that. What, you think ponies grow on trees? So he's, he's, you know, basically berating her, saying that, you know, why are these E's turned backwards on the sign and all that stuff, you know, because it's like a kid's <laughs> sign. And, and th then it starts in. You've, you've got, now you've got a, now you've got a boss, right? Yep. <laughs> the, the honeymoon period is over. They've got you in the pen. Now you're, now it's, that's it. Exactly. And, and when Huey tries to, this is, this part I thought was just such a key critical thing. It, it, yeah. it vibe with me so much Huey tries to get her to stand up for herself he says you know you you're not going to stand for that right you're not going to let him push you around and she says you you just want people to be miserable like you are and I cannot tell you the number of times that yeah. I have been told that oh my god to, like yeah <laughs> that's like life man people like people just assume you're being negative or miserable so i'm just trying to tell you the truth i'm just trying to be authentic and honest with you people really don't want to hear reality they, they don't do care not. about the truth nope they do not give zero fucks about objective truth they do not if it conflicts whatever like preconceived notions they have they don't want to hear it. and it's it's just like that whole idea of like, oh, we don't need to bring negativity around here. Whether it's you're trying to organize your workplace, or even hell, if you're even just trying to bring something to your boss that's like you slightly suspect that it maybe might not be okay, or might be a level of drama or problem that could be a very legitimate issue that your employer should be aware of, so they can address it and fix it. Most often, they will say, "Hey, we don't want to. We don't want to bring a bunch of negativity in here. We don't want to talk about." these negative things and get people all down about you know these things that are going on it, it's it, it's a convenient distraction to get people to stop talking about their pro their legitimate problems at their workplace and focus on you know putting your nose to the grindstone or whatever you want to say getting your next task done yep. uh, and whether you're, it costs you your dignity or not yeah, because I mean, essentially, we're in a capital society, right? So it's all profit. That's all we care about. At the end of the day, your dignity, your feelings, your well-being is mute when it comes to profit. It's all about profit. And especially so if you think about the fact that, like, we live in a white supremacist society. So if you're a minority, we really don't care about your well-being. <laughs> I mean, there's really no consideration. In fact, I'd say there's kind of a leveling when it comes to the consideration of our well-being, right? Like, there's minorities, then there's the whites, and then there's the capitalists the people that actually own the means of production and they're the people who we care most about their well-being because we live in an oligarchy in reality yeah. right and even even beyond the profit motivation i mean there's a power motivation in there too like i've been in situations too where i've been in a workplace completely drenched in white privilege been at the table in the discussion in the conference room and had ideas and suggestions and concerns that would immediately result in a bigger bottom line and simultaneously address an equity issue and it been ignored because the power structure is more important to them than the profit. The profits, in my opinion, correct me if anyone's mileage is different on this, but in my experience the profits are often a handy stand-in for the power struggle. The profit is something you can point to and say, "Well, you know, we're running a business, and we need to be we need to be mindful of our bottom line." When really, what it means is, "Well, we're in this structure, and we need to keep these people doing this type of work, no matter what." Yeah, I think it's kind of like a nuance. I like I think there's, I think you're correct there, but I think it's like a there's kind of a balance, right? Like they do care about profit, but they also care about control. And control is the bottom line because they want to control the profit, if that makes sense. Like, ultimately, that's what they care about. So they care about profit enough to the point where the profit is still positive. 
but they care about control enough to the point where they can make sure they're siphoning like 80% of the profit to themselves because the profit's no good if they're not controlling the majority of it, right? Like it doesn't matter if they have great profit if they have to split it with everyone equally because that's not what a capitalist right. So essentially they really care about control because you don't have to do, in a capitalist society, especially if you have a decent business, like something that's a very profitable business, you don't have to do much to make money, especially as the person that owns the means of production. You're going to make money no matter what. So you just have to keep it running, essentially. Like, just keep it running, and you'll make money yep. while paying the others the bare minimum to just labor, right? Paying your productive laborers the bare minimum. And I think that's essentially what it is. It's kind of like they're trying to measure it. Like, they're trying to, like, keep the production with the control as well. But it doesn't matter as much. Like, like I do agree with you that the profit isn't everything. Like, they don't care if they get the most profit. It doesn't matter as much as long as they're getting the majority of that profit. And that's exactly what we see with, with Wunsler here. Uh, you know, they've got this thing built out, you know, to the point where it's essentially a money-making machine. Jasmine is slinging lemonade left and right here. They've got glass and wool. It's all, you know, established a, a business. There's a line going up all around the corner, and they hold the, the press conference at the lemonade stand uh, about Ruckus, who's facing a seven-figure settlement and and what does he do instead he uh decides to he, he wants the uh, police department to let him fulfill a childhood dream of getting to be a police officer for a day a press conference was held at jasmine's lemonade stand to announce ruckus to settle with the police department he turned down a seven-figure settlement offer in fact all ruckus asked for was to fulfill a childhood dream of being a police officer. I mean, this man was shot at 108 times by cops earlier in this week. And it's just the, the inability to make the connections here, you know. It's and sad that... Huey's looking up... Let's go ahead. No, no, continue. I'm sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt you. Uh, so meanwhile, Huey is looking up uh, Wensler Inc. online, which is so Huey... Like, actually doing the research, you know, studying, you know, backing up, finding the material to get ready to back up some claims that he's about to make. Yeah. You know? And then I think he goes and organizes a protest, too, uh, in the middle of that. We're going to shut down this lemonade stand and liberate that little girl! Yeah, right on, man! And the protest turns out exactly like what I always say. I probably ran about this on Twitter way too much. Um, I try to explain to people that protests aren't very effective. I'm sorry to let you guys know that. But if you're just standing in a place that you're designated to stand at, um, the power structures that be don't give a fuck. Uh, you can stand there all day and they'll be okay with that. In fact, they prefer that. They prefer if you just stand in that designated area. Why would they not care? Like, why, why do you think that bothers them? Yep. I mean, that's exactly what happened. And Huey tried to rile up the crowd. Um, well, for the people that didn't see it right. When they were at the protest, Huey tries to rile up the crowd. And he goes to rush the lemonade stand and actually shut it down by force. Because he's understanding that that's the only way we're going to stop this, right? We can't ask the guys to stop it nicely because they're not going to. Why would they do that? They have a reason to listen to us. So he tries to forcibly go and stop it. And he turns around and looks. And everyone's just standing there like, hey, no, we're just going to peacefully stand here and protest to put up our signs. And he's like, guys, stop playing. Get him! Shut it down! Yeah. Just very slowly yeah. and peacefully. We're gonna liberate that girl one of these days, even if it's not in our lifetimes, right? Who's with me? Well, let's get serious. Well, let's get serious. Let's shut this shit down. And he kind of comes to the understanding and realization that I have as well that no, they're they are being serious. They really think that what they're doing is effective and gonna lead to the change that they want. They don't understand that change has to be forced very often. It's not going to just be given to you, right? Power doesn't concede without a struggle. And these people don't get that idea. They genuinely think power is going to give up by asking very nicely. Right, which we know good and well. That won't happen. I mean, th this is something that it's interesting to go back and watch this after seeing, uh, you know, the Portland protests and the, the, the Chaz. Um, I thought that one was really interesting. I, I watched uh, Andrew Callahan went to Portland and... There was a situation where when the first, you know, couple waves of BLM protests started, I mean, and it was basically, there was a literal tornado of tear gas, if you remember. They yeah. were 
they brought the full SWAT units and were blasting people with rubber bullets, hitting people in the head and all this stuff. And then they the protests like backed down a little bit and they kind of reached a some sort of I guess you call it a ceasefire when really it was basically the cops just decided to stop blasting them for a night or mm-hmm. whatever. And then uh after that the like the white anarchists arrived and started tearing shit up and they had no idea like what they were doing like they they like there was there were actually like black people trying to redirect the the white anarchists to certain points strategically and they wouldn't listen like they were like no we're going to go over here and as a result the black protesters were getting you know slammed with police brutality because of the actions of because the the white protesters weren't following the lead so like it was it was kind of interesting to watch this and, and the reason I bring that up is because like you said Huey charged in in the first right and then the white people didn't back him up you know and and I thought that this was sort of a opposite thing from what we saw in Portland like they didn't back him up because you know they were like hey we're just here to do our peaceful protest man we're going to sit in and play the guitar and I think know. what it is here too is it's less of with Huey and the other protesters it's uh less of a racial thing and more of he's a leftist and they're liberals so he's ready to go rush in because he's like the anarchists and they are like the liberals who you know go to the protest to just it, they view a protest as a parade and you know right. that's something that you can get that across all different races is people who just view instead of a protest it's a parade I think it's racial though just because like if you even think about the people that are willing to do that, they're black because the oppressed don't have much to lose. You know, we don't have anything to lose, but our shackles, right? If you're white, you're already benefiting from it, especially if you're a white male, right. You don't gain much by fighting against the system. In fact, you gain nothing. You lose much by fighting against it. So white people don't have that incentive or the inclination to do so. That's why when you see people like Martin Luther King or Malcolm X or Fred Hampton, they're black men, right? And they're all been murdered for their views and for standing up for what they believed in. And because they were willing to take it to the extremes that no white man was willing to because they didn't have to. And I think that to tie it all together, the 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 point that I was originally trying to make is that this the, the Portland protests were about Black Lives Matter. They were about Black lives, and when the white people that were involved didn't follow the lead of the black protesters, yeah. that was when shit went sideways. You know, they they didn't they there were people that came there to strategically wreck shit and there were people that came there just to wreck shit if that makes any sense and and I think that th- it was a racial divide there like they the 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 white protesters overwhelmingly were not there to support BLM and and follow and let their voice be heard they wanted to take control of the situation and as a result black people suffered yet again because of course that's what's going to happen well, I have a question for the white pe- people on the, on the podcast. Um, do you guys think that this is essentially basically the same reasoning? I mean, they're two different, like two different issues, I guess, from different perspectives. But they have the core, like, fundamental issue of just having that white savior syndrome. I think, and white people want to help, but a lot of times their help tends to be, "I'm going to go talk to that guy," or "I'm going to do." whatever I personally think is going to help you and not actually listening to the oppressed people trying to tell them what they need them to do? I think so. Mm. Uh, I can't speak for Athena and Nova Mm. on this, and I'd love to hear their takes. I mean, I see it in the autistic community, so I would imagine it's ten times worse in the black community. Yep. I mean, yeah, I see that all the time, personally. Yeah, yeah, if if you... If the person who is oppressed, you know, stages resistance then those people need to be the voices that are heard in the resistance they need to be the ones that are leading the charge and and similar to what we saw in the boondocks whether it's you know drawing a line at race whether it's drawing a line at leftist versus liberal either way the point here being is the person leading the charge didn't they did the people that showed up to back them up did not back them up in the way that 
it needed they needed backup. Huey was ready to go in and said, "Come on, let's get them," and the white people didn't didn't act, or the the liberals didn't act, or however you want to frame it. Uh, but if they had, then you know maybe the story had played out differently. But this is just something that you see all the time, especially before 2020. Um, I mean, yeah. any time that we had protests. <laughs> I've had similar situations like that. I think, uh, Jack, you probably know of one where I kind of was a little overzealous about, you know, trying to, I guess, combat capitalism at a level which I thought we could do. And I was like, hey, guys, let's join together. Let's band together and fight this. And we could, you know, we're stronger together than we are separately. And as soon as I actually, you know, called for real action to fight the system, everyone was quiet. And they just completely just gave up and were like, they're completely over it. I mean, I, I realized that it literally just killed the entire, like, conversation when I actually called for real action. And, I, like, people just aren't ready for that. They don't want real action. No. It, it's tough. There's a sacrifice that has to be made, you know? Yeah. And if you're comfortable, people aren't willing to make it. It, it actually boggles my mind uh, because... I've I've seen it in other areas, but, you know, because you'll have people who complain about things, and you'll go up to them being like, okay, well, how about we change it? And then they'll go, oh, I mean, I don't want to be a burden, or I don't want to, you know, and it's weird. It's so weird to me. I don't understand it. I mean, yeah. So Jasmine and uh, gets ready to, they get, they get angry, Jasmine gets angry, um, and Hugh either arguing uh once rides in on a carriage thing that's like pulled by all his ponies right ladies and gentlemen it has been brought to my attention that jasmine's lemonade parade has been using child labor obviously this comes as a great surprise to me so i present to you onceler's cruelty free lemonade it's lemonade, but without the biting sting of injustice. Its lack of cruelty makes it look delicious. And I know it's cruelty-free because he said so. And it's on the label. And he declares publicly in front of this big crowd, this big protest, that uh, it's come to his attention that the stand has been using child labor. <laughs> the child labor that he <laughs> situated yeah, it's, through his contract. It is a very Jasmine. common business thing. Uh, I worked for an employer that did that too where they uh, say that, you know, that, oh, it's a you know complete shock to me that the uh, supplier that we're using or this, you know, third-party contractor or whatever has all these horrible work practices. We had no idea that was going on, but uh, they actually not only know about it, but, like, planned for it. It was, you know, built into the budget right. or some shit. You know, they it's never <laughs> right. as... Uh, innocent as they want to make it seem I mean, yeah they have lawyers they have corporate lawyers just for these particular cases like yep. this, they know it's going to happen they're prepared for it <laughs> so at this point Wetzler's like but we're not going to be associated with it we're going to sell cruelty free lemonade and it's like this mass manufactured Gatorade bottle looking thing that has like a label on it that says cruelty free and I, ha I loved this part because the protesters were like hey it's cruelty free that makes it taste better <laughs> It, it says so right on the bottle, and it, this, I don't know if y'all like know much about the fishing industry, but like there's a thing that cruelty free in 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 the the fishing industry. There's like cruelty free tuna, or dolphin safe is what it's called, and they in the fishing industry in Japan, they actually when they run their trawlers on the ground, but they, they scrape them along the seafloor, just do you know, just Un, un, immeasurable damage uh, to the ecosystem and catch the tuna, they actually will go and kill dolphins because they eat the smaller fish that the fish that they're trying to catch you know, eat. So they just kill them. Like, they don't use them, nothing. They just go and kill them in mass. And so what happens is they fish, some fisheries have started putting the sticker on their cans of tuna and cans of other white fish and other things that just say dolphin safe or cruelty free or something like that well there's like no standard there's like no quantifiable metric for what that means it's just a thing that they said so this this like hit so hard when i saw this it was like oh we just 
no one did any investigation or anything like that. They just saw the sticker and were just like, oh, it's cruelty-free. How do you know? Because they said so on the bottle. Hey, everybody yeah. wins. This reminds me of that instance of a... In, I, I can't... I just don't want to say the actual place, but it's a place where someone tweeted or they just... They messaged that uh, publicly about the retention rate of the company and how great it was. And within the last week, we had saw like 12 people quit who were hired in the last three months. And this person was tweeting about how great the retention rate of the company was. And it just goes back to what you were mentioning about how there's no quantifiable facts that anyone can go look up to verify what this person is saying, right? So what's stopping them from completely yeah. lying? Yeah. It's, it's, it, there's nothing. There is no, you know, check and balance for press release. You know, like any CEO could go and say anything about their company could be complete, total balderdash. And what are they going to do? It's private business. Like, somebody going to get in there and investigate it? Nobody got time for that. Unless it's something, unless it is something that hurts other more wealthy capitalists, it will never be investigated. If it's something that affects the proletariat, then, you know, they don't care. It's fine. Whatever. Yep. Just like this. Cruelty-free lemonade. It says cruelty-free. He could have a, a sweatshop, you know, with... You know, a hundred lemonade stands with a hundred children in it making the cruelty-free lemonade. Nobody would know. They put a cruelty-free sticker on it. That's all they need to know. It, it absolves their conscience. That's the liberal yeah. thing, too, right? Like, oh, let's buy organic. It's performative. You know? It's performative and it's signaling. You know, that's they right. they see that it says uh, cruelty-free. They want to perform that they are cruelty. That they believe in cruelty-free. That that's their values, and so they'll gravitate towards it because of that. Exactly. So after Jasmine, uh, you know, tries to see her, her pony that she'd been working towards getting, she's supposed to have sold like, you know, four thousand seven hundred and seventy-seven. I don't know, remember what it was. There's yeah. some ridiculous number of women. Yeah, it was like four thousand three hundred and eighty something. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. He, she was just like one one shy of fulfilling. No, 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 no. She went over the amount that she would have had to do in order to get the money to pay him back. But he was charging her. He was only paying her 5% of proceeds. So a nickel on every dollar and, uh, was only, he was taking the cost of building the shack and all the supplies and gas for him to come check up on her. He was taking all of that out of her pay. Mm -hmm. Means of productions. Yep. And I, I, I loved this because at this point in the series, as it happens, or at this point in the episode, as it happens so often throughout the series, uh, Huey is just describing this essentially to the audience, like a storytelling mode. Huey had done all the research and, like, read the contract and figured it all out and was like, here's what happened. You know, and now she owes $300 to Wunsler after it was all calculated yep. up. And then, of course, he's, you know, Wunsler's like, you know, uh, you just wanted a handout. You wanted to work. Yeah, you just want a pony. <laughs> so frustrating. It's, it's not like she came in there earnest, right? It's not like she came in there with good intentions, actually trying to work, do her best. Like, she was doing it before right. he even came there, right? Like, she was already working, had right. her own little, you know, company established and everything. He came in promising her to what help. And then he, And then he sells her off as a lazy person who just doesn't actually want to work and put forth the effort right it's kind of like what we're seeing now in the current atmosphere where they're like nobody wants to work instead of acknowledging that people just want to get paid fairly for their work yep absolutely and have dignity and you know be able to live yeah like have a personal life like it's not even just about pay either right like it's about the personal life it's about having you know just being a person right like your labor is a part of you it's not who you are and the problem with a lot of capitalist societies is a capitalist isn't happy until you're as obsessed with whatever their capitalist notion is as they are. Like, you have to care as much about their capitalist idea as they do, even though you're not profiting from the same perspective as they are. Right? right. They can own 100% shares, but they want you to care as much as though you own 100% shares. The asymmetry of it is absolutely astounding, too. I mean, it's like, oh, how, how dare they not be as passionate about this as I am? It's like when the person that is that has all the passion has all the money, has all the ponies, has all the cars, you know, has the means to upgrade the the stand and and you know change the product yeah. and all this stuff and and the latitude to come and go as they please, while this person is just working their butt off like serving four thousand deals of lemonade. Like, of course, the asymmetry here is not even. It doesn't take a you know a rocket scientist to figure this stuff out. 
Like I'd be passionate too if I could buy a new Bentley. <laughs> if I worked a lot harder, like it's it's hard to be passionate about a job if I know working, you know, 10 times harder, I'm still going to get paid the same amount. When you don't have equity and you don't have any kind of relationship to the actual profit that you're producing, it's very hard to feel incentivized to produce more. So they they uh, there's a riot after this point, you know, once once they leaves and they're, you know, they burn down the lemonade stand. It's engulfs in flames and uh it starts snowing and this is the big reveal that i spoiled in the beginning of the episode that it was a in the newspaper it said that it was a 90 degree heat wave in the middle of february uh and after that after the snow starts falling everybody kind of goes their separate ways and the episode closes with jasmine talking about how she's got this idea for selling hot chocolate and huey's just like (laughs) Why, <laughs> you know, I mentioned uh, a while back that that's that's such a keen energy too, because like all of the you, you talked earlier about you know being enumerate, and I, I love that you, that you said that, and uh, because in this episode, you know, Huey does all the math to like calculate out why it, you know she owed three hundred dollars or whatever, and explains it to Jasmine. And uh, I just think that that's like such an Akeem thing to do. <laughs> I, you remind me so much of Huey uh, <laughs> in the show. I appreciate it, and uh, I think it's also the <laughs> I think it's also the reflection of people just not caring. That is so true. I mean, I have spent countless hours of my life trying to provide people with you know objective reality, quantifiable statistics they can actually take a look at and say this is true or this is not. And people don't care. Something I've learned from reality is most people want to feel comfortable, they want to feel happy, and they just want to feel good. Like, it, They aren't necessarily concerned about reality as it is and how the world actually is. They're more concerned about like how they want to perceive it and how they want to see things and what makes them feel the best. Um, in fact, they may get apprehensive towards you if you try to present them something that doesn't go with how they see the world currently. And I think that's what Huey like struggles with all the time, where he's trying to help people and trying to show them the world because he believes, hey, if I show these people reality and I tell them what's actually going on, they can use this to better their own lives. But these people are seeing it as a threat to their lives and a threat to how they currently live out their day-to-day lives. Like They're seeing it as more as a threat and an affront to them rather than seeing it as a way to improve and benefit themselves. So, I mean, at this point, I just give up on the show. Oh, sorry. I just have given up. (laughs) (laughs) It's it's all good. I I don't blame you. (laughs) Closing thoughts on the show. I I generally think that we, which the podcast is about cultural hegemony. And usually, you know, there's a, 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 a message from the ruling class that's being put on this one. And I said before we started this show that, I think this is probably the most based material that we've ever used for this show, uh, which is pretty cool. I think that's like a new milestone for us. I would have to say it's probably this show, then maybe Bob's Burgers, and I don't know which one comes next for that one, but y'all have heard enough from me. Uh, Athena, what did you think about the show overall? Oh, I mean, given the fact that I've binge-watched all the way up to this point in two days, I've been enjoying it a lot. It's definitely uh, tells it like it is. <laughs> yeah, I will say sometimes it's a too real. <laughs> it's a little too after, real for after me. After this one, I kind of was like curled up and was like, "Oh, everything sucks." <laughs> <laughs> it's funny too because like I, I feel like the I notice myself like I can feel my own white sensibilities and like it, like it's we it's weird because like they. The show is, is made by black showrunners. Almost all of the cast is black, uh, and it's they have like such a strong like v- worldview that's presented, and it's like very I, I don't want to say nihilistic, but it's it's a very cynical worldview, but it's also very real and very gritty. And like, there's a lot of times where they will say something that I'm just like, <gasps> I can feel that. I mean, I love how the show does that. It, how it just sort of like immerses you into the into black culture uh like you mentioned and it does it in a way that is somehow relatable to an experience that i've never personally had you know only witnessed it 
third party. You know, it's weird though. You said nihilistic, but like I never, I didn't really get nihilistic from the show. I got realist, well, I, but it wasn't yeah. nihilistic. I, that was just the first it's, word that like popped in my I, head. I, I kind of get what you're saying. It's so realistic that it's almost it's like dark and kind of shaking. It it, it mm. shakes dark, you as a yeah. result. It shakes, yeah, definitely. I think that's kind of the point. Oh yeah, yeah. I'm glad to hear. Oh no, it's, like, it's great, especially it if you're white. <laughs> like it. if you're it a white person, it should just be like a huge, just like just a snap to reality, right? Like you yeah. just be listening to it and feeling very uncomfortable at certain points and thinking to yourself like wow i can't believe our society is genuinely this fashion right it mm-hmm. kind of points out those things that seem almost unbelievable to you which that's what i love about it i mean i think every white person should watch boondocks like i'm not saying it's a 100 percent accurate account of black culture but i think it gives you a pretty decent insight to like how black people think feel and just just very common very very common things in black culture and cultural stuff too that like we don't have any exposure to as uh, white people mm-hmm. it's very i mean even something yeah, yeah I, I think where you were talking about it being dark and you know i feel sort of bad about it like it's sad it's like i feel sad and the people in the show are laughing that's the thing that's the experience mm-hmm. like i feel sad i'm like ready to cry kind of and the characters in the show are laughing about it, like because they're used to it, right? Like they're used to these, you know, injustices and these inequities and it's stuff. It's that scene with uh, Chris Farley, right? The from the the Tommy Was, boy. Is that Tommy boy that's from? Yes, the... yeah, yeah. That scene. I've sent, I've sent that video to Akeem before. It's uh, from Tommy when he's like, he's backstage with like the the uh, people that are kind of like the. I don't, I don't know. They're they're like a black band, and they're all smoking together. And it cuts away for a second, and it comes back, and Chris Farley's like, "You, you guys are telling me that I'm I'm whitey, and you live in an oppressive, racist society, and all this stuff." And he's like, "Man, that sucks." He gets so upset about it, you know. He's just like, "Livid." He's like, "I'm gonna go talk to some people and straighten this out." It's a bunch of bullcrap, <laughs> like. That's my. That's the feeling. Yes, that's the feeling that I have. And like they're just like, okay, you, you go, you do your thing, Whitey. Like, tell us how that ultimate goes. white savior <laughs> syndrome. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's it's weird how viscerally I feel it though. Like, like I I just get this feeling of like I want to do something about this. What can I do about it? It's like the it's it's very much white saviorism, and I know that it's like not good, <laughs> but it's like something that I feel like inside me. You know, like I can't it. I don't know, man. It's 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 hard for me to describe it. I'm having trouble like putting the words to it. I don't it, think you know? it's bad though. Like I don't I don't think the inclination is bad. I think it's more so about like how you express it and channel it, I guess. Cuz the inclination mm-hmm. itself is just more so that you're a decent human being and that you have empathy towards other people and you realize there's an injustice being done so you feel like there's something that you need to do, which is just being a decent person, right? Mm-hmm. Like I'm the type of person if I see if I go outside and I see like my neighbors struggling with trash, I'll be like, "Hey, can I help you?" Right, like there's an old person or something, because that's just who I am. I have empathy, and I see a person struggling, and I feel like I should help them. And that's just to me being a decent human being. I think the problem comes when you think that you then know better than the other person, because then you start falling into white supremacy itself without realizing it, right? Because you start looking at the black person as inferior and thinking you know better than they do. So even though you're trying to help them, you're still doing the exact same thing by patronizing them. Yeah, you need to go and ask, you know, what do you need? And then if it's to, if they tell you shut up and get out of the way, then do it. Shut up, yeah, right. Man, yeah, that's a lot of good stuff for me to think about. It, it, it's been amazing, like, having this whole conversation and uh, watching Boondocks. And, uh, you know, Akeem and I have had so many discussions about this topic and white supremacy in general. Uh, which probably a good time to talk about the other project that we're working on as we're wrapping up here. Uh, yeah, I mean our podcast, uh, Akeem and Jack. Uh, I think I talked about it earlier, but yeah, I mean you guys want to check it out, Akeem and Jack. That's our podcast name. I'm not sure how else to advertise it. I'm not good at this. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, it's there. I. Uh, you did a great job. It's a podcast. <laughs> it's a podcast. Do do that. A, please go to it. 
<laughs> we we basically it's it's this, but we expand on it a little bit, and we try to talk about uh, uh, about black issues specifically. So I I get to do a lot of learning and a lot of listening <laughs> in that show, and it's interesting because they can we can take, you know, we can take the the difference between my white take on a on an issue, uh, and and your take of you know the lived experience and it's kind of cool to see the reconciliation of that so go check out Akeem and Jack it's got a super inventive name that we uh you know struggled to come up with <laughs> so uh you, you could play you could get a theme song with your names and do it with like the Max and Ruby theme song I don't know that what it's is the that? little television show the rabbits, the rabbits? <laughs> <laughs> Max, yeah rabbits. it's two rabbits <laughs> It's it's some it's a rabbit's kids it's a kids show with rabbits. Oh okay. <laughs> I'm glad Akeem got it. I'm off too because my kid's not into right, it. I'll so. check it out. <laughs> we'll put a link in the description. Oh yeah, that's what, my kid. My my kids must be outgrown or something. I don't know. I'll check it out after this. Well, Akeem, thanks so much for being on the show. We appreciate having your guidance and uh, your takes on this. I'm glad to be here. Thank you guys for inviting me. This is awesome. I enjoyed the conversation. You guys are great. Um, awesome white people. You have my approval as a black person. So okay, I'll, I'll take that validation. <laughs> I'll take it. Just don't go around saying don't go around saying the n word. Uh, I can't promise you protection. Oh God, no. <laughs> <laughs> no, I don't think you have anything to worry about on that one. Uh, <laughs> what is it? It's like. Uh, uh, I, that meme that says uh, like my my neck my back don't say the n word unless you're black. <laughs> that's all you need to say. Just leave it at that. That's perfect. That's uh, perfect. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so uh, pluggables, we've already plugged. Uh, if you got an episode idea, hit us up uh, hedgepod at gmail dot com or uh, on Twitter at hedgepod h e g e p o d. Solidarity to any of the uh, anybody who's still paying attention to the workers movement there's a, been a couple of bigger items in the news lately that I'm not going to spend any time getting into uh, I'm going to choose not to have a take right now and if you want to at me you can do that and we'll probably carry it on outside of Twitter because I'm sick of looking at Twitter feeds for a little while I hope everyone understands but there is still workers movement there still is a great resignation, so solidarity to anybody who's work, struggling for workers' rights right now. Keep fighting the good fight. And um, with that, we will catch you all the next time. Bye. Bye. See you later.